Hello and welcome to The Firm, Clark Jeffers & Co. Uh, podcast. Tonight we're looking at the whole area of franchising. It's a rapidly expanding area within Ireland. It's gone very hot again and to assist me with that, I'm joined by Tony Fitzpatrick of FranchiseYourBusiness.ie, also known in the media as the Franchise Guru, and Mike McQuillan, CEO of Pet Sitters Ireland, one of the newest and upcoming franchises in this territory. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here, Victor. Before I start... Since we decided to record this podcast, I've had a question I'm dying to ask you both. <clears throat> Take this scenario. I'm a young entrepreneur. I've got a few bob in my pocket. Maybe it's an inheritance. Maybe it's redundancy money, something like that. I want to, I want to buy a franchise, but the question I have to ask myself is, why would I pay somebody my money and, let's face it, a good chunk of my profits to be in their business rather than start up my own? I might go to you on that one, Tony. Well, I think you'd want to think about the benefits of franchising and uh, the advantages of it, other over than setting up your own business. Not everybody have has the skills or the confidence to set up their own business. Okay, if they, you know, we're not all entrepreneurs here, um, but you have to be an entrepreneur to 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 to, to run a franchise. Um, they, you're looking at um, a business that's already proven. Someone has spent the money, made the mistakes. Now they put a system together. Uh, that works, and if it works for other people, why wouldn't it work for you? If mm-hmm. you're looking at this, so the hard work's been done. Okay, all the money's been spent. So you're you're going to be developing your a, a business uh, as a self-employed person uh, under the banner or under the, the wings of someone who's done it all before. Okay, well, I mean, this brings me right across the table to you then, Mike. You're that somebody who's done it all before. I mean, you've been involved in your industry for a long number of years now. In terms of you taking the leap to become a franchisor, why do you think people would buy pet sitters franchises, for example? Well, I suppose mainly because they, just like Tony says, they, they want to work for themselves, but maybe they don't want to work by themselves. You know, they want to follow a proven, successful business model um, where they can learn from somebody and follow in someone's footsteps who's maybe... Uh, already trodden that path, they understand what works, what works well, what doesn't work at all, and help them avoid a lot of the pitfalls that can be um, that you can just generally stumble into, you know, as you as you go along. So we can really help people, you know. But of course, I suppose um, you know they, they've got to really want to enjoy what they're doing. You know, they've got to be. They can choose any franchise they like, of course, but you know they should choose something that maybe they're passionate about. You know, for sure. I mean, would it be fair to say, if I think of um, franchises, I mean, the, the the big one that jumps to mind is McDonald's. And I know that you and I spoke about this before, Tony, but it appears that franchising works for McDonald's because if I am in the remotest region of far off India and I mm. see a McDonald's, I know what I'm going to get. Yes. So, I mean, Tony, is it fair to say that there's a reliability issue in franchising, which is, you know, which is good for the person starting out because they're their business is automatically reliable, even though they're maybe only working for a week. Yeah, I think that would be um, a, a key element in it. The, the brand is is the key, you know, because it, what would, someone would need to create their own brand. If they, what are they going to do? You know, it costs money to do that. Um, somebody's created it already, and there is reliability. You're quite right. I mean, I often say to people, if you go into a, a McDonald's in Burr, uh, you'll get the same burger as you did in Birmingham, Alabama, mm. you know, because that's what they're selling, they're selling a system. Sure. Yeah, that's something that we actually work very hard on, actually, you know, a duplicatable system, 
throughout the entire model, so that the, the you know the people who are delivering pets and dog walking services in in Galway are doing exactly the same you know things as the people who are delivering pet sitting services you know in Dublin or in Cork it's exactly the same thing right across the place you know it's that's an interesting one uh, Mike because as a solicitor you know we give various advice to clients who are involved or who, who want to become a master franchiser like yourself or who want to buy a franchiser uh, or who want to buy a franchise and the key piece of advice that we give for both actually is if you want to buy into a franchise and the franchisor is prepared to change the agreement for you as per your requirements, run a mile. Mm. Because it's not a duplicated franchise. In other words, they all have to be the same. And likewise, and you found this in your business, you've got to be quite strong, I'm sure, to resist the urge when selling franchises to change something that's in the agreement. You've got to have the same agreement for everybody. Isn't sure. that fair to say? I think it's very fair to say. Mm. Um you know, of course, people want what they want, you know. Um, and, of course, sometimes people just aren't right for your franchise. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've, we've had a lot of experience that's, with that. Now, that's a really interesting point. And I, and I just want to spend a second on this. It's interesting that you say some people aren't right for your franchise. I mean, that's clearly right. Some people just don't fit into certain types of businesses. But there has to be a general... And I might look over to you, Tony, in just your experience over the years. There has to be a general type of personality which is suitable for franchising. Well, you want somebody who's, who's outgoing, confident in his own ability to succeed. That's that's what you're looking for. Uh, and I think we're is, looking straight across the table at him here, aren't we? Yeah, no, <laughs> well, exactly. But he, he's going... You know, he's relatively new to franchising, mm-hmm. isn't he? And as, as I always say, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs to get the right people franchising is not for everybody okay um, and I meet people sometimes and I'm talking to them about franchising they're sat across the table arms folded the body language is not good can they sell have they got a personality you know if they, all franchising is about selling okay. whatever you're doing whatever you're selling or products or service it's about selling can you sell you know if you can't sell don't go into franchising because that's what it's all about it's like somebody running a restaurant Unless they can smile and talk to people, it's not going to work for them. People are not going to come back. No matter what the brand so is that's what, over what the What it is, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, in terms of the benefits that are available to, to franchisors and franchisees, we, we've been discussing them, but we wouldn't be truly balanced unless we looked at the drawbacks in relation to franchising. And it's like any business. While there are certain positives, there have to be certain negatives. What do you say? On, uh, and, and in fairness, I've looked at your website, franchiseyourbusiness.ie, and in fairness, you do have a section on the drawbacks on, on franchising. And I would be interested to hear those drawbacks, yeah. or at least some of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's very important, and this is what I would tell people all the time, you know, don't get into this unless you can work, you know, unless you're prepared to work, um, uh, unless you have the personality to, to, to make a success of it. There are two types of franchisees, the people who who can and the others who, who can't. You know, and very often a franchisee will fail because they don't have those those quarters. Um, you need to know, a franchisee needs to know what he's getting into. He needs to check out the franchisor thoroughly. He needs to ask, and how do you do it? You've got to ask a lot of questions, okay? Um, there are... Um, you're going to be an independent operator under his system. So you need to have to follow the rules. Something you touched on there earlier about um, it's so important that if someone, when you're talking to a potential franchisee, if he starts talking about the agreement and wants to change the agreement, 
he's not the man for you. Okay, don't. That's the end of the conversation. You franchise agreement must be the same for everybody in the system, and uh, it's a one-sided agreement. You know, um, you can make, you can discuss the cha- if any cha- if any changes could possibly be done in a side letter if there's a, an important thing you want to do. But generally, the agreement is the same for everybody. If you don't like it, don't do it. Okay. So you remember, you're going to be you've got to follow the rules. You probably sell the exact same of product or service, okay? Uh, and your shops or offices may look may look the same. Uh, you may also wear the same uniforms and things. Um, uh, there's little little um, scope to be creative. You know, you're, if you're buying this system, you've got to run the system. You can't start changing um, things in it. You know, for example, yeah. with Remax, I had a, a client in Remax one time who had a shop and he didn't like the... Uh, the colour scheme, Remax is red, white and blue colour scheme. He says, no, that wouldn't work over here. Um, I, I'm going to use um, bl- black with uh, silver and gold lettering on it. This is his science. <laughs> okay. I said, well, that is not the system. You know, if you want to create, if you don't like the Remax system, don't join. You know, mm-hmm. don't go and create your own system if you want to do that. Well, I suppose, and, and while that's a drawback... I suppose from your point of view, Mike, as a master franchiser, mm. it's very important that everybody follows the rules. And I presume it's important because you've spent time developing this system and it's the system that you want to work with. Well, you know, as you mentioned, I'm kind of new to this, right? So, you know, I've spent several years working in a, in a business that which my wife and I have built to where it's at where we're at a stage where we can take advantage of the market and expand quite quickly for, through franchising. And the drawback for me is that as a traditional business owner-operator, that I'm now de-chunking my business and selling it off to people that I, that I have to trust. Ooh. You know? Just the, the mental issues that go with that, you know, and finding the right people, people that you like, and you want to work with, mm. and that can work with you. Mm-hmm. There's some major kind of just mental blocks just in getting through those obstacles. They would be the the drawbacks. The system is the system. The system always works. If you play within the rules, you win every time. You know, and that that works. So there's no real drawbacks in the sense of you know following a system. The drawbacks are finding the right people to follow a system. Mm. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because. Even if you find the right people, I find um, being a solicitor and dealing in franchising, one of the key difficulties that I come across is that other solicitors, and I'm not being critical of my own profession, but just in, at times, don't seem to understand franchising. And what they do is they write to you and say, my client wants to take your client's franchise, and I've read your agreement, but I'm not happy with the following 25 clauses, and I want them changed. And as I said earlier, you should run a mile from any franchiser who is prepared to change his agreement, because... The system is a system because mm. it works. And if it's being changed for you, and is this fair to say, Mike, if it's being changed, it's it's not part of your system anymore. And that's where the cro- the cracks start to appear. Yeah, just, just like Tony mentioned earlier there, you know, we have people who currently work in our business and, you know, they might come to you and say, oh, I want to do something this way. And I might say, well, that that's great, but why do you want to do it this way? And... And as it turns out, the majority of times that they want to do it there, this this way or this different way is because it's more suitable for them. It fits into their timeline or their schedule better, you know. And it, and we really need to at that point be explaining. Look, unless we can duplicate this across every kind of system, 
across everybody doing the same thing, it's not going to work. Otherwise, we have chaos. We've got everybody doing what they want to do. So we really need to, you know, we've got to manage those things all sure. the time. Um, Tony, I mean, you talk about drawbacks, you talk about generally being controlled and contained within the franchisor's rules and regulations. And I won't name the franchise, but one particular very large food franchise, a couple of my clients who have uh, franchises with them describe the environment as being 80% fear, 20% trust. Is that a reasonable assumption of the bigger franchises and is that why they work? Well, there has to be control, obviously, especially if it's a a large organisation. You have to put systems and controls in there to make sure everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet. Um, Trust um, plays a big part in franchising. Remember, the franchisor, um, once he sells a franchise, he's trusting his brand to somebody else outside his orbit. And people can't let you down. You know, this is the, the why fran- picking a fa- the right franchise, franchisee is so important. You have to be able to trust them that they're going to operate the system in the way you want it operated. Okay. And if the, I mean, I, I, as I said to Mike at the, at the outset when we first met about this, it's very important when this people start, potential franchisees start asking delicate questions about, well, what if I can do this or can I do that? That's the time to be worried, because um, you know, as I mentioned, the story of the of the guy in Remax who didn't like the uh, the colour scheme that we had. What would it be next week? What other things is going to, he's going to do that's going to bring the brand down in in a particular territory? But I think, in fairness to the franchisors, um, the reason that they want this level of control, the reason that Remax, for example, want their colours is it is each. Is it fair to say that each franchisee? is like a mini marketing tool for the master franchise. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So you send them out like a soldier going forward. They're wearing your uniform. They're wearing your colors. Mm. They're promoting your brand. And it's it goes back to the whole McDonald's thing, doesn't it? I mean, if, if it's the reliability of the brand. And yeah. of course, you can spot a McDonald's from a mile off. I think when you're dealing with a heavyweight like that, that it's, you know, that it's really, it's quite easy, you know, from, from that point of view, because you've got this huge investment that someone's taking. When you're investing, I don't know how much it costs for a McDonald's. You must know, Victor, roughly. Oh, it can be a million euros. So let me say, when I'm putting a million million euros down on the table, I'm invested in my investment at that stage, big time. You know, when you're buying into a smaller franchise, maybe something under 10,000 euros or something like this, you know, it's keeping that person motivated, keeping that per- because yes, they can get excited at the, at the early stages. Yes, this big kind of adventure that they're going on, and then two months down the line, they can be cool. You know, they can think, oh well, you know, oh you know, I've got this thing coming up this weekend, and maybe they're not doing all the things that they need to be doing on a daily basis. Whereas when you're, you know, a, a Roman Empire army like McDonald's just marching through, yeah. it doesn't matter. Sure. But when you're this smaller company or this small franchise, this single person mm. operator of this franchise, it's the momentum that you get, that you have to create for yourself. And that comes from the, the, the franchise or supporting that person and helping them. Mm. And, you know, but it's important to remember, just going back to what you're saying, you, know, you can, you know, we tend to kind of go down the lines of, right, okay, let's put our arm around them, let's kind of kind of encourage them, motivate them, you know, teach them and lead them how to do the things that we've done. But it's, it's still important for those guys to remember that, you know, a pat on the back is only six inches away from a kick up the arse too. Yeah. Well, you know, really what I'm getting from here, Mike, and, it, and it's good to dispel this notion at this point. 
and I would have been guilty of this notion for years, which is, why would I franchise or encourage a client to franchise? You're only making the fat cat who owns this business richer and you're taking all the risk and you're working and you're giving them as profits. But what I'm seeing here is that's far from the case. It's particularly with the smaller franchises. You are becoming part of a team almost. Absolutely. Yeah, and that team is going forward. And hopefully one day, if all the soldiers fit, you will sure. be that Roman army. Maybe not marching on chicken nuggets. But of course, yeah, of course. But, but, but marching forward um, in terms of being a much larger operation. Well, of course, as the, as the franchisor, you know, I have a vested interest in the franchisee becoming successful. Mm. Because if they do not become successful, if they... And bear in mind, the franchisee is going to make most of the money within their business. They're going to make most of it. You know, it's, it doesn't all come up, come upstream, you know. Yeah. So from that point of view, as the franchisor, I have a vested interest in, in anybody who takes on a franchise to help them become successful. Because if they become successful, you know, by default, you know, my business and Pets of this Island, that grows in its own success. So, you know, both have the, it's a win-win situation from what I can see. You only make money when the franchisee makes money. Indeed. So it's the franchisor's job to encourage him mm. uh, to, to boost his profits and, and uh, give him guide, the guidelines when, when he needs it. Well, you know, from that point of view, that's all well and good. But a franchisee will need money to get started. Mm. Okay, now obviously, as we discussed, it's a, it could be a million euros for a McDonald's, it could be five euros for the newest flower arrangement franchise. It could be, it's a, it's a variance. Sure. But in terms of general franchises, the franchisee needs, he needs the purchase costs, mm. he needs advertising pool contribution costs, sure. he may very well uh, need a unit to trade from, so he's going to have mm. to lease, he needs upfront costs. How difficult is it for new franchisees out there to actually raise capital? Tony, you've probably had a bit of experience with this. Yeah, I mean, clearly uh, money is tight uh, even now, but it's the reins seem to be uh, released a little bit. In, the banks are lending money again mm. to the right people. You know, you've got to have a good business plan. Um, depends on your record with the bank, etc. But there is money there. There are uh, other places like microfinance, for example, um, which is a body set up from, with money from the government to fund uh, new businesses. Okay. Um, and again, if, you, if you're the right type of person and if you've got a good business plan, they will lend you money. And you don't have to, there's no, you don't have to sign for this money. Okay? Mm-hmm. Anything from 25000 upwards. Okay? So there's various sources now that, um, that, that are available. And there's plenty of advice now on... on, on uh, on finding funding for, for now, and banks now love franchising, you know, because it's uh, they, as we for reasons we've discussed, they know that the franchisor is if it's a if it's a company, that's a, particularly if it's a brand, they know that um, it's, it's run well and there's less risk of the franchisee making a mess of it. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, from my own point of view uh, as a solicitor, we would see clients at various stages of, of franchising that come in that say, we want to buy this guy's franchise, we're very excited about it, mm-hmm. uh, we want to go for financing, etc. And then we would have other clients who come in who are like you, Mike, who would say, never mind anybody else's franchise, I've got a great business of my own, I'm going to set it up, I'm going to build it up, and I'll see how it goes in the future. And interestingly enough, the franchising uh, element is easier to bank because banks being typically conservative like the fact that there's lots of history behind the franchise. And that's why it's important, I'd say from your perspective over the years, 
to have your franchise pet sitters with a good record with the bank, sure. you know, with a good record with yourself. And while we'll discuss what it will take to franchise your business in a moment, that mm. obviously is a key element. It's setting up the trust with the banks. Sure. Right? But well, the- Sorry, the, 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 this brings you to the, you know, what is it going to cost to buy a franchise? Yeah. Um, you, you can, you know, most franchises will be about an average of 15,000 euro. Could pay a lot more for, for, the, for the business. Apart from that only gets you in the door. That gets you a territory. Okay, that gets you t- the t- territory of Carlo, say. And um, so the, the franchise all says, we won't put another franchisee in this territory, this is yours exclusively. Well, I'm going to stop you right there because at the risk of sounding like we're in a gangland war now, let's define what we mean by territory. Mm. It's a key element of franchising. Yeah, it? it'll be a, t- a town, a town or a, a part of a city that will be defined by in, on a map. And what's the point of it? Why, why would I want a territory? Because they'd want, you would want to know exclusively, exclusively that this is your territory. You can do all your marketing in this area without fear of someone else coming in and on, on okay. your patch. So essentially it'll be my own franchiser that I'm paying won't be competing against me. That's the point. Yes, of it, isn't exactly. It? Yeah. In other words, I buy a Pet Sitters Ireland franchise for mm-hmm. Carlo and I'm not competing with another Pet Sitters franchise Ireland in Carlo. Isn't that the key element? That's correct, yeah. yeah. So this is obviously, Tony, a crucial um, a crucial thing for an interesting franchisee yeah. to look at yeah. is what territory they're buying. Okay, sorry, I stopped yeah. you in midfield. Well, that's the, you know one of the you've got to ask a lot of questions. One of them is, what is my territory? Is there going to be any competition? Uh, um, you know, will allow will anybody else be able to come in? You're selling the same brand in my territory. And obviously, you're going to answer that's no. You're not. You know, you won't. You won't get. You'll, you won't have competition from any other franchisees. Okay. So. <clears throat> The cost of the franchise is important. Um, it's not just you're buying in fee. You know, some people will say, "What am I getting for my fifteen thousand? So you will say the franchise will say, "Well, I'm giving you the territory. That's your. That's the, really what you're getting. That's. It's an opportunity fee. It's your opportunity to be Mister Pet Sitters in Carlo. That's the way I would be advising Mike to sell it. Okay. Oh, well, what else am I getting? Well, you're going to get training. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we're going to show you how to do this. Um, we're going to give you marketing materials and all these other things. This is part of the package. But also you need, uh, most, in most franchises, you need the, the 15000 or whatever it is just gets you in the door. Um, you now need what I call working capital. You need to be able to rent a premises if you need an office. Um, you've got to pay for your promotion of the, of the business. Uh, if you've got staff, you need money to pay, to pay the wages. Um, Two questions a franchisee will normally ask is um, at the start, what am I getting for my fee? You're going to explain that to him. How long will it take me to get a return on my investment? So you have to produce figures that say, well, if you, you know, in our experience, this is what you should be achieving. And, you know, no one in the right mind expects to make money in, uh, in year one. Generally speaking, it takes two or three years before they start making profits and they get a return on their, on their capital that they've invested. And that sounds like work, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is. Yeah. But of course, there is also the key purchase in a franchise, isn't there? And that is the the manual. Okay, every franchise has a manual, and it is the third secret of Fatima as far as that business is concerned. It is what makes it work. I mean, I know Mike, you've got an extremely good one. It's mm. it's essentially it's the written version of your system, isn't that mm. right? And Obviously, one of the questions that any franchisee that we would act for would ask is, where's the manual? How in-depth is the manual? 
and how restrictive and how helpful is the manual? I mean, there are three key points. Well, it is the Bible of the business. That's to put in a nutshell. That's what it is. It's how we run this business. Okay, um, through our experience, this is what works. These are the procedures we we use. Okay. Now they don't see that until they sign up. Yes. But clearly, they don't get that until they've paid the fee, and now they're part of the system. Um, the manual is um, all important. It is. It is. It can be changed. Unlike the franchise agreement, which yeah. which stays the same, but the manual is subject to change at any time. Could I even say that it should evolve and should change as time goes on? Right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. new new things come into it, new developments are made, new all sorts of things new are added to the to the mix. Well, I mean, even if you look back <coughs> over the last five or six years, uh, the variance in manuals that I have noticed have been largely around social media. Because five or six years ago, social media was really a non-existent part of a franchise. Now it's a key element, isn't it? Well, our business has evolved from from when we started. You know, when we started, you know, it was all uh, mobile telephones, text messaging, and things like this. Now we've moved to uh, GPS tracking and um, photo pet care journals and, and and everything else like this, which is all uh, more much more efficient, much more streamlined, um, and it makes life a lot easier for everybody. It just makes it makes us better. Um, but it also goes to show that if the if the franchiser like yourself is evolving, mm-hmm. it's a better place for a franchisee to be. Sure, but but even the operations manual is 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 yes, you still get that hard copy if you like, but there's far more that can be done within the within a digital on uh, operations manual, such as you know videos, role plays. There's so much more that you can do, you know, and trainings, you know, that can be. Um, even in real time, you know, that has to be, it's constantly evolving. It's a fluid thing that's just moving all the time because you never know. Of course, you can have this vision for your business and that you're moving in this direction. And of course you are, but things can happen really quickly, such as legislation, which will just move you. Yeah, but, but, but that, that, that's an external factor which would force you to update mm. your Yeah. Franchising attracts uh, motivated, um, uh, smart people who, who want to earn money and are, are full of ideas. And every every franchise benefits from the input of franchisees. Okay, uh, as a good example of that is McDonald's. Now we all know the uh, the Big Mac, we all know the fish burger, we all know Ronald McDonald, who is always at these functions that they use. Now those ideas did not come from corporate America; um, they came from franchisees who, in their various uh, various meetings in across America you know somebody one day from what have stood up and said I have children coming into my I want to keep them I want to encourage them that this is where Ronald McDonald came from okay that, that was the symbol for, for for the franchise and then you know the Big Mac had these things when McDonald's started they only had a 15 cent hamburger that's all they did okay um now, you know, this, the whole thing has changed. Now they have salads and all sorts of things yeah, in there. Well, you know, it goes back to the point that you mentioned earlier that the type of person that you want to attract, and I know this is very prevalent for you, Mike, and of course it's, it's so, it makes so much sense to attract the people who are not only capable business people, but people who have a bit of imagination. Because at the end of the day, these people, are, as I said earlier, it's almost like a team now, isn't it? A mm. team effort. Um, and finding people who can be creative like that and who can enhance your business, I suppose the master franchiser has to be open to those ideas. Would that be fair to say? Yes. Yeah, of course it is. But again, it needs to be duplicatable across the entire system. Mm. It's very difficult to, to kind of just to say, 
Well, you know, your ideal person is this type of person. You know, you want them to be able to think on their feet, but at the same time, you want them to be able to follow instructions. You know, it's hard to find someone that just that wants to do both of those things. They either want to be out there blazing a trail for themselves, or they want to follow someone else's trail. You know, and yeah, it can be it can be a challenge. So maybe challenge is the wrong word. You know. You're looking for someone who's passionate about what you already have. So, you know, we're a pet sitting and dog walking company. So if we can find someone who's also has an affinity with pets, they're passionate about pets, but they also maybe, you know, they've already got a background in customer service. They, they understand what good customer service is. And yes, they, you know, being great at customer service is about thinking on your feet. It's about giving the customer what they want. So, yes, we have systems that can deal with all of those things, and they're all learnable skills. So maybe it's not as hard as what I'm maybe kind of thinking about. It's, it's really about getting someone who's passionate about what we have to offer. Because if they're passionate about it, it doesn't even become work. It becomes fun. It becomes something that they look forward to do. So really what you're looking for is you're not looking for people to just buy a franchise off you and go off gently into the night and work that and send you up money really, every no. so often. You're looking for a collaboration across... I want people to enjoy what they do. If they're not enjoying it, they're probably not right for us. Well, you know, they say if you enjoy what you do, you never go to work. Isn't that right? Sure. So, look, let's let's just move on then because, I mean, now that we've discussed what type of person might be suitable and, you know, all these, uh, I suppose we've discussed the costs, etc. Let's look at the other side of it for a sec. Uh, Tony, I had a look at your website when we were preparing for the talk today. And... I found this great downloadable book you have called How to Franchise a Business and also How to Know that You're Ready to Franchise a Business. And I mean, from a practical point of view, you've got a very useful stress test in here, which covers a multitude of uh, things. But what is the most, if I have a business, let's say I make cakes and I think this is a business I could franchise. What is the most important attribute my business should have What's the first box I should be taking before I think any further? Is it profitable? Okay. Will people buy it? Mm-hmm. You know, your, your product or service to people, is there a market for it? Well, that, that's a key issue really, Tony, isn't it? Because if I have a, a fantastic idea um, that's not mainstream and it's, it's very niche, I really have to question whether I'm going to be able to sell a lot of these franchises. So, yeah, I, I completely accept why that would be one of the most important things. What else would you think, in your opinion, would be important? Uh, have you proven your concept? Will it survive in the, in the long term? Well, yeah. well, let's have a look at that one then. How do I prove my concept? Let's say I've got a business. For talk's sake, it's a cake shop, okay? I'm, I've been in existence for four or five years. I've got a nice client base. It's a duplicable product. How do I know that I've proved my model? Well, is it successful? Are you selling? You know, are you making money? That's the secret, isn't it, of any of any uh, franchise? It, it, are you operating in a niche market, or have you got something different in a in a uh, in an established field? Sure. Is that your business? So, really, what you've got to do, I mean, if I'm interpreting this correctly, and I'm sure you've been through this process, like you've got to ask yourself the hard questions, don't you? Have I a business? Yeah. Is it profitable? Well, I mean, you'll know the answer to that. Um, is it is it dupl- is it capable of duplication? Correct. Would be correct. I think one of the key areas. It is one uh, of the one of the big things for for us was did the bank believe in us? Mm. Okay. You know, so if the bank believes that we have a viable business, 
and they're prepared to lend us money on the strength of our business, that's someone else putting their trust and money in us. Mm. And yeah, that means a lot for someone who's in business for themselves. Well, let me ask you an honest question then, Mike. Had the bank refused to lend you money, and let's say you raised it from another source, a loan from a family member or you got it from an inheritance, would that have stopped you franchising? No. No. Well, my philosophy is that you never say no to a customer and never accept no from the bank. So um, the bank buys into me as an individual or, or as a business person or as an entrepreneur or whatever way you want to see yourself. Um, but I have a vision for my business. You know, I'm passionate about my business. I care about my business. I care about the people that work in my business. I care about the customers who, who, are, who are in our business. And, um, you know, I have a vision for my business. And the truth is, wherever, you know, people are going to buy into me. Well, uh, presuming you got, and you did get finance from the bank, you, I presume you had to produce a business plan to them. Sure. Do you think it would be a good idea to duplicate that business plan to a potential franchisee, for example, to let them know what your vision is? I mean, if you're asking a bank to invest in you, you're surely asking a franchisee to Absolutely. invest in you. Absolutely. And of course, the uh, when you sit down or when I've sat down with any potential franchisee, you know, I can talk passionately or, or, or explain my vision. And of course, we have the operator's manual and and it's very easy for someone who cares and about their business. You're, it's very you're doing easy a to really good it. job of avoiding what I asked you. Go on then, ask right. me again. Would you provide a copy, or do you think it would be a good idea to to provide a copy of a business plan? Maybe not the exact same business sure. plan used for the bank, but a business plan for your franchise. Yeah, to be honest, I would have I wouldn't have any problem with with that. Okay. Uh, and Tony, from your experience, is that an advisable move? Yeah, some people. Uh, potential franchisees will want to do their own business plan or they may, some, may need some guidance on doing it and you, you have a, 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 a draft of it sure. um, you, you don't um, you know everybody will, will come to a business from different angles um, you don't do the business plan for them but you mm-hmm. show them wh- how, how to do it and they fact, fill it in themselves in fact to be honest you know, on my way here this evening one of the reasons why I was late is because I was on the phone talking to someone and uh, we were talking about some of the things that we're talking about tonight mm. they're passionate about pets they have two dogs and a cat they love pets they're currently already doing some dog walking for friends and family they're, they want to do they've, all, they've worked for themselves for a long long time um, and they really want but to but while working for themselves they've still had a boss and what they want is they want to get out of having a boss and they want to work for themselves. And they see franchising as an, as an opportunity for them to be able to work for themselves, but just not by themselves, you know, following a system. That, but that's a but, real key distinction but, now, Mike, isn't it? Well, yeah, I'm, no, learning, some, I'm learning something myself yeah, now. Yeah. But, you know, part of this person's problem was the finance. You know, we, you know, this is just an initial call. And one of the first things that I'm going to is going to mention to them is, look, this is how much it costs. You know, this isn't a hobby that we're looking to create. This is, this is something that, that you're going to have to work at. And there's a, there's a commitment that you need to make. There's a financial commitment that you need to make. It's going to cost this much money. And for the next five years, you're going to be expected to, to meet and achieve certain targets down that line to, to, to become successful. 
And their challenge is, well, I'm not sure whether I can get that money together. Well, that's fine. That's okay. There are, there are certainly lots and lots of government incentives like microfinance, like the Bank of Ireland. Certainly my bank will certainly sit down and talk with anybody. Peer-to-peer financing? Who, who, who is looking at our franchise. So as long as they can make the repayments, of course, it's, it wouldn't be an issue. So, so just, just on that, Mike, I mean, I think the key pointer here is AIB commissioned a very large uh, study in relation to the st- statistics surrounding franchising recently because they want to make a name for themselves in the franchising market. And I think you, you alerted me to this, Tony. But you're right. There are so many ways of, of franchise of financing nowadays. You've got you've got even the smaller ones like peer to peer finance, mm. you know, which is coming through. You've got crowdfunding. You've got sure. the banks. You've got even credit unions, depending on the cost of setup. Um, so, from a practical point of view, while that is a very important hurdle, it's not an insurmountable one. No, it isn't. But what we talked about on the phone call was yes, that there is options there. But of course, you know, you're going to need to present a business plan, mm-hmm. and we can certainly help you do that. There's no doubt we can help them do it. Some people want to, and there's, to be honest, you know, writing a business plan isn't as hard as you might think it is. There are lots of tools that are available online, and I'm not talking about templates, I'm talking about tools that will prompt you and help you to create very real, realistic and efficient and effective documents. And I mean, Tony, look, you've been in the business a very long time. I don't think you, you, I don't think anybody gains the handle, the franchise guru from from swanning in of of recent times. Have you seen the use of a business plan as a useful tool in both franchising from a franchisor's point of view and a franchisee's point of view? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's an essential document, really. Okay. Um, if you're trying, if you're borrowing money of any amount. You need to be able to show um, what's involved. Where's the if you're borrowing money? Where's it going to be spent? How it's going to be spent? Okay, mm. and you need some history of the company uh, to give the people. If you're meeting the manager, the man in the bank or whatever, he doesn't understand a for he doesn't understand franchising. Yeah. Secondly, he's not familiar with the particular franchise that the person in front of him is looking to buy into. So he needs convincing. So you have to show, um, you know, that the business plan will will have some. Pre- uh, projections in there. Um, I often say to people like Mike, look, you don't need to give them audited accounts. It's wonderful if you can, if you want to do that, which will show a progression over the last few years of what profits have been made. Um, but you can give him, uh, based on your own experiences, you can give him uh, estimates of what projections of what uh, you realistically can achieve through this business. Okay. I mean, we have a particular client who I think made a very slick move. Um, He was a master franchiser, and what he did was he sat down with his local bank and said, look, this is my franchise. I'm franchising my business. You guys have been very good. You've supported me. You've seen the progression, etc. Would you consider supporting my franchisees? And the bank basically said, look, if they're the right person, yes. So what he did was he briefed a particular bank manager on the entire business plan. And then any franchisees who went in were meeting somebody who believed in the plan, who knew the plan, and really now just needed to vet the individual in front of them, as opposed to trying to do the double standard of vetting the individual in front of them and understanding the business. So moving on then to um, what we mentioned earlier, which is the key document, which is the manual. If um, If I decide I want to take a franchise, Tony, in something, and I go to my uh, bank, they'll probably ask to see the paperwork behind it. But of course, I don't have the manual at this stage because I haven't raised the finances. Isn't that right? That's right. So how would one get around that catch-22? 
Well, I think you, they, they, if you're at a certain stage with the bank, they'll understand that, um, you know, they'll see a copy of the agreement um, and they'll know that there are, I mean, there, is a, there would be a manual involved in it and they'd, they'd want to see it. But I think that the... I've never heard that they'd asked for that. Okay, so the yeah. ma- it's not really a major glitch. No, no. I think it's more likely, just to refer to the story that you were talking about, that if someone was interested in a franchise, uh, in a particular franchise, they're probably going to go back to the, the franchisor's bank. They yeah. know that company, They and if they're buying in, just like my yeah. bank buys into me, yeah. um, they're quite prepared that if I'm going to say what that I'm going to do this, in fact... Yeah, look, I'm going to tell you a little, a little silly story. This is back when, when we started our business. You know, in our first year, you know, just when we were trying it out, we turned over ten thousand euros, and, and and the first thing we did was, you know, we made a business plan for the next five years, and we dropped that business plan into the enterprise enterprise board, and then rang us up and said, "Wow, we've never seen anything like this. Can you come in? We want to help you. We just don't know how." And they gave us a little bit of money, and they really helped us. And I thought, right, okay, I'm going to the bank. I'm going to ask for a load of money. And uh, I went to the bank and I said, look, can you give me 40,000 euros? I wanna... And they kind of said, look, Mike, no, we're not giving you any money. I said, well, look, you know, can you give me 20,000 euros? And he was like, Mike, look, just stop calling here. We're not giving you any money. <laughs> and I said, and, uh, and the guy that I was working with, a really nice guy, he still works in Carlo, but he works in Bagnallstown now. And I said, look, will you let me, will you ask, because he has to go and get it underwritten, you know, yeah. and they just kept saying no. And I said, look, will you, will you go back in and ask them? if they'll lend me two euros. And he just laughed and said, making sure they'll lend you two euros. I said, well, keep going up until they stay stop. Right. And he phoned me back that afternoon with 12,000 euros. And we took that 12,000 euros. And that's just through pure persistence that we were going to do this. We were going to do what was in our plan. Yeah. And that's exactly what we did. The next year, we grew our business by 415%, but on the strength of the bank believing in us. Okay. So obviously, I mean, we've talked about characteristics needed for franchisees. Would the would the term bullheaded describe a characteristic that might be appropriate to a I'm franchisor? Not like, no, I don't. I, think know, so. I know you're not, but I think persistence. If I'll persistence, just persistence, sure. yeah, it yeah, is key. And a client of mine franchised his business a number of years ago and has gone on to be quite successful. I asked him uh, what was the first thing he did when he decided to uh, franchise his business, and he told me he went out and bought a map. Because to him, the most important thing starting off as a franchisor was to understand how many franchises he could sell. And this seems, to, this seems to be something that some people miss. Ireland's a small place. Tony, you and I discussed uh, various statistics and we try and stay away from the statistics on this podcast, but an interesting one er, earlier was that there was only about 150 franchises in Ireland, whereas there was nearly 900 in the UK. Now, one of the reasons for that is because there's a very finite amount of territories in Ireland. We're, mm. small, we're a small country. So... Would it be fair to say, Tony, that one of the key elements you've got to do is you've got to understand how many territories you can have because that effectively limits the future potential of your franchise, doesn't it? Well, it does. You know, um, the, the most franchises you could sell if you're opening shop, people are opening shops and things is probably in territories um, where there's, you know, you, you want to carve out the territory carefully to how many, what's the population there. Yeah. So really 10 to 15 Franchises in in the whole of the country is probably as many as you're going to get. Of if you're in the retail business, for example, you know, okay. the population business. Mike is in a different uh, situation because uh, he his franchisees can operate from home, so they don't need premises, um, and they're not dependent on passing trade or anything like that. They uh, 
will market their their business in 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 their own their own area. But I think that's that's a key for you, uh, Mike, isn't it? Because I mean, how did you go about splitting up your territories? Even I, I understood that the, the the franchise agreement would take care of itself. The operations manual would take care of itself. My biggest challenge in setting up or, or moving from a traditional owner-operator business to a franchise business was how to create a fair territory system for everybody buying mm. into. Mm. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at a map of Ireland and imagining how I would draw it up or how I would carve it up based on... Uh, and to be honest, it, it really became very simple in the end. Um, it's just a shame I can't tell you how we did it. But you it were, was, sure, yeah. But, it was, but obviously it's based on population, home ownership within a particular type of area. And it's very important. It's a density issue, I imagine. Of course it, it is. Yeah. And so whereas, whereas maybe uh, parts of Donegal or maybe Mayo and Galway, there might be quite vast areas. Mm. But the home ownership, if you like, in that area would be similar to maybe a home ownership area or territory in Dublin or Cork or something like this. You know, that that's really the reason why you tend to see one dominoes in a town as opposed to eight or nine dominoes around Dublin. It's because it's much easier to carve up very small territories with huge density in a, in a city. Yes. Whereas, as you say, if you've got a vast part of Donegal or Mayo or, or any area that's that can be quite sprawling and large, the territories will have to be bigger because the density is less, and that goes back to your fair carving up. But that earning potential in this case is the same, of course. Yeah, yeah, and that's or the same or similar, you know, within reason. Sure. Okay. And I suppose from a master franchiser's point of view, Mike, you've got your territory split up. You've got your, um, you know, you've got your map of Ireland. Does it often happen that you've got two great fits, but they both want the same territory? No, no, I've not come across that. Um, I would be excited if that were to happen. Okay. Um, because, you know, the territories are, are, are large, um, but they're, they're not large enough to share. Well, they certainly could be large enough to share if they wanted to do that, but I don't think I want to do that. They're, they're probably, uh, regionally, there's probably, you know, they're only 20 minutes between territories or something <laughs> like this, depending on where they're located, if, you know, depending okay. on whether in a big area or a small area or something like this. But... I would love it if that would happen. Okay. I would love it. It'd be Do you a, know two people who want yeah, to The first world problem, is it? And I, I just want to turn very briefly, Tony. We, we've discussed how much money it generally takes for a franchisee to get into a franchise and you know how to go about it. But let's just flip this on its head for a moment. I'm in a situation like Mike where I want to franchise my business. What kind of associated costs have I got in getting that off the ground to a point where I can start trying to sell franchises? Well, your, your setup costs <clears throat> would be um, enough to cover the some professional advice as, as to uh, how to how to do it, how to create your system, um, the, a legal fee for doing the agreement. You've got then th- think about um, how you promote the business, the marketing aspect of it, and now that need not be uh, expensive. Okay, there are certain. Uh, websites, directories that you, you uh, direct, what I call directory websites, such as Franchise Direct, um, where you have a profile on there. It doesn't cost a lot of money to do that. Maybe five or six hundred a year. Um, they, your profile is on that website now, twenty four seven, and you'll get lots of responses from that. 
Okay. So, obviously, the important things are you've got to get your legal agreement in place because that's the cornerstone of your yeah. of your contract. And let's face it, despite the good relationship you may have with your franchisees, it's a, it's a relationship built on contract. You've then got to get your manual. And I presume a business like yours, Franchise Your Business Study, could assist with manuals. Yeah. Um, because manuals, and I've read through manuals from varying sizes to new startup franchises right up to your your big fast food uh, franchises and the manuals are so technically proficient that it would appear that there's an awful lot of experience as well as knowledge gone into them which can be difficult of course when you're just starting off as a franchise and that presumably goes back to the need to evolve your manual as it goes along so you need a starting point well very often uh, someone will come to me with um, a a plan to business to, to promote the business rather to franchise the business um, when I ask him, uh, has he got a manual? He said, well, I don't have a, uh, it's all in my head. And I said, well, you've got to get it out of your head and onto paper, okay? Now that, for some of them, can be very difficult. They're just not writers, you know, they're not, they haven't been, haven't been doing this type of thing. They all know what Mary does in the corner and what Jim does in the back room. But they have to piece all that together into, uh, into a manual that can be read by anybody. Okay. And, you know, I would obviously take, take them through that and I would provide certain generic parts to it. Okay. Um, I suppose one thing I just want to raise with you, Tony, as well is generally when I think of franchising, and I've asked a couple of people, I asked Rob, our sound engineer here, and I've asked my secretary this morning, name three franchises. And the three that I would name would be McDonald's, Burger King and Subway. And I think actually Julie, my secretary, named those three Rob was only able to name two. Um, is franchising only a fast food or restaurant business, or is it capable of being mashed into anything else? Well, as I said earlier, anything can be franchised for which, uh, provided there's a demand for the product or the service. Now, the ones that hit the headlines, the one that your friends could could um, or staff here could name are the ones that are on everybody's lips because the, the, the amount of promotion that these companies do, it's hard to, to, to ignore them. Okay? So they've established themselves over the years and spent fortunes doing, doing that. So it's no wonder that people are um, familiar with some of these big, big names. But smaller ones, smaller companies who are never going to be a McDonald's or anything, they have to start um, somewhere. They've got to create, and franchisees have to create their own market in their own area, you know, they're not, they can't rely on the franchise or to do national publicity, etc. Well, I mean, you drew my attention when I asked you earlier, was it just the, the food franchises mm. that were franchisees? You named Senator Windows to me. Mm. And of course, I know Senator Windows, a big, big company in this part of the world. And it's interesting, it goes back to what you say, anything there's a demand for, mm. be it Windows, be it pet sitting, sure. be it anything, is capable of franchise. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Tony, you've been involved in this a long time. I just want to ask you one straight question. In your opinion, with the experience that you have, what is the single biggest mistake a franchisor could make? That he doesn't um, uh, monitor uh, and support and lead the franchisees, okay? You must keep on top of them. You must watch what they're doing. Uh, If if mistakes have been made, you must rectify them. Okay. And would you agree with that? Would that would that be the one thing that you would be conscious to do as a as a franchiser? Yeah, you become complacent. Um, I think you know 
certainly for me, maybe when you think that you've actually made it or you've reached the top of the tree or, or you stand still, you're really going backwards at that stage. So it's really about making sure that you're keeping a close eye on everything. But of course, you, like Tony says, you want to be encouraging. You want to be, you know, um, given these people still have to have responsibility to run their own companies. But you want to encourage them and motivate them to do that, but stay within the guidelines. Once you once you allow someone to step outside of that line, and you allow that, and you don't pull them back in, or once you let them fall off the train and don't help them back up, you're going to have a problem. So it's a daily struggle, then, really, is it? You know, as a franchisor, you've got to watch this. Sure, I I would think so. Yeah, yeah. Franchising is not easy. You know, it's it's a but it's the rewards are potentially impressive if you do get it right. But the secret is to get pick the right people, get the right people in the in the system, and take pains over appointing those people. Don't just you know as I often say, it's not the the guy who waves the biggest check. He may not be the person you want. Okay. I think some people, certainly people that I've spoke, spoken to, I think some people might think that franchising might actually be get rich quick. Mm. You know, they think, all oh, right, I'm just going to buy this uh, business model and that's it. I'm just going to sit back and let it come to me. It's not like that. You know, there is a commitment that needs to be made and there is work involved. So with that caveat, I'm going to ask you, uh, Tony, I'm interested in franchising. I've got a few Bob now, and I've listened to this podcast, and I'm suitably enthused. Where do I go to find out more, and what franchises are available? Well, you could right, Tony should probably go to petsittersisland.com forward slash franchise. <laughs> that would bring you and, straight there, and that is why you are a master franchiser, <laughs> Mike. Assuming that uh, the territory is gone on the on the pet sitters one, where would I go? Is there forums? Is there websites? Well, there there's a, a directory website that I would recommend called Franchise Direct, um, which is an Irish company, but they're all over Europe and South South America and everywhere now. But they would list um, a categories of French franchises. So whatever one you're looking at, accountancy, you know, whatever it is, um, door-to-door sales, cars, it, all the categories are there. Okay. And there'll be a profile on each one um, where you would um, get, read the basics of it, i.e. What, what you need to do, who are they looking for, what type of person they're looking for, um, what's the business, does, does that suit, business suit you? There's no point in applying for something that's not going to suit you. And there's a form to fill in which will uh, get you further details. of the, the. They'll send you some an email with more details. And if you, if you are looking for something, like that is a great site to go to that Tony talks about, yeah. franchisedirect.ie. It, yeah. you, know, you can actually filter based on your budget. Okay. You know, so if you've only got maybe ten thousand or between ten and fifteen thousand, oh, so you can you can, you filter, can your, filter the okay. franchise opportunities to see and see if anything suits you. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes maybe the it's the budget that might suit you as opposed to the franchise. But I yeah. would definitely recommend go with something that you're passionate about. If you're seriously yeah. looking at franchising, yeah. choose something that you really want to do or you can see yourself doing in five, six, or and seven years. Not just years because time. you can afford to do it. No, Absolutely. But also, what, what, what's your background? What's your business? What's your business background? What have you been doing in the last 20 years or so? You know, what's, well, my um, background is construction, but I've been a yeah. pet owner my whole life. <laughs> okay. right? yeah. So your experience in pet owning outweighs your experience in construction. But, Absolutely. But I do, I, do, I do take the point. I mean, if I, for example, wanted to go out and franchise and I've been a solicitor all my life, there's no point in me deciding I'm going to run a McDonald's. I no. wouldn't know the first thing about, about the, the food industry. But that's not necessarily correct because you might be hugely passionate about cooking. 
But then again, McDonald's might not be the thing for you because I'm not sure how passionate they are about cooking. Yeah, but I, I mean, realistically, I'm passionate about golf, but I'm still useless. I mean, uh, you know, and I see Tom's going up all around this table. I think you're right about background. There has to be a base knowledge of the industry. There has to be, a, I mean, you've got to have enough knowledge for a start to create the manual. Sure. You know, okay, now obviously if you're looking to buy a franchise, you've got to have enough knowledge to understand the manual and to understand the requirements because when you get into franchising, you've gotten in as we started at Bond, you've gotten in and you agree to obey the rules to the letter. So you've got to understand those rules. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and whether it is you're hoping to be to buy a franchise for $5,000 in a very small company or whether you're prepared to invest your life savings and become a large retail franchiser, Whatever it is, I think the bottom line we're getting from tonight is you've got to take appropriate advice. You've got to be understand the industry and you've got to be aware of the pitfalls both on your own side and the pitfalls for the franchise. Mm-hmm. So on that basis, um, Tony Fitzpatrick, your business is um, franchiseyourbusiness.ie. I'm sure anybody who'd be interested here tonight could contact you to discuss it further. Thank you. And anybody who's interested in your franchise, and I've got to say, listening to you and looking at you smiling every time you talk about it, I feel like going out there and taking a <laughs> franchise myself. Uh, Pet Sitters Ireland. And gentlemen, Mike, Tony, it's been a pleasure to have you, and thank you very much. Thanks thank very you. much. Thanks for having thank me on. I should say that tonight's talk is not legal advice and nor does it purport to be legal advice. Anybody interested in the area of franchising, whether being a franchisee or franchisor, should take specific advice from their solicitor and accountant and indeed an expert in the area such as Tony Fitzpatrick. Clark Jefferson Company solicitors have been involved in the area of franchising for the past 25 years and we'd be happy to answer any questions or provide any advice applicable to you.